0: The Future of Tech has many fascinating guests from across a variety of technological industries. But who is the gentleman probing the guests for deep and compelling answers? This episode is all about turning the tables on the Future of Tech host, Shai Sharlin as he is questioned by guest host, Albert Chow. Avi Shai chats about his current role at Amdocs as division president, Amdocs Technology, Network, and Products, as well as the entrepreneurial journey that led him there. With so many amazing guests on the future of tech, Avi Shai has had a front row seat in many talks about compelling technologies. He also has had the occasion to look at technology from the sky-high airplane view and to see broader points of intersection between different industries. This episode is his chance to unpack some of these ideas and to share them with you, the loyal audience. In this wide ranging interview, Avi Shai and Albert chat about fascinating technology topics, ranging from the power of open source to the ubiquity of artificial intelligence to space logistics, with many other areas in between. Avi Shai teases the topic for future shows about entrepreneurs and unicorns and he passes on some of the advice he's learned from entrepreneurs. Abishai gives his take concerning the importance of passion and the need to accept some failure as part of the process towards success. Enjoy this episode. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs Technology page on LinkedIn.
1: Okay, welcome everyone. It is a new episode of Future of Tech. My name is Albert Chow. I am not Abishai Sharlin, although Abishai is here. Abishai. Hey. Are you still here?
2: Hey, I'm here. I'm here. (laughs) Great seeing you, Albert.
1: You know, one of the fun things. Well, first of all, thank you for letting me guest host today on Future Tech. One of the things that we've done over the years is we've met and you've met so many different amazing guests from different companies impacting the way our future is going to look. But one of the things that the show has neglected to do is kind of let our audience know a bit more about Avishai. So this episode is a little bit of a twist. We want, to, we want our audience to learn a little bit more about yourself, to get an idea of who you're, what you're all about, so they can understand who their kind host has been all these years. Abishai, this is, we're going to turn the tables on you. Today, we're going to interview you and hear what you have to say about these guests that you've had on Future Tech. <laughs> okay,
2: let's do that.
1: Let's do that right out of the gate. So you know, before we get into the episodes, you know, a lot of people have been listening for quite a while but they might not know too much about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We can start with what you, you know, obviously your role at Amdocs, but then I'll ask you a couple of questions also about who you are as a person.
2: Sure. So my role at Amdocs, I'm, I'm the president of the uh, technology and products, uh, namely, you know, the guy that is responsible to develop uh, and to look into the future about what we plan to do on one end, and yet uh, make sure that we are delivering what we promised and, and what our customers are looking for.
1: So give us an idea of what your day typically looks like or a week looks like for you. You're evaluating technologies, you're evaluating opportunities. Give us an idea of what it what you do over the day.
2: We had a very funny um clip with my kids asking what Daddy do, does And they all said, you know, he answers emails. So my day starts with emails. <laughs> um very early in the morning, I, you know, catch up. Uh we're like all around the globe. So at any given time, you'll have a new email and something new to uh, to address. But uh, generally speaking, you know, the day will be split between uh, looking into um, steps that uh, about future technologies that we're interested in can be an M&A, can be a future direction. This would be one angle. Obviously, um, a lot to do with the um, the daily life. I'm running a four thousand people organization, so there is a lot yeah, of things to do. Um, and to make sure, you know, budgets are in place, uh, sales are, are, are running uh, in the right, uh, what needs to, to happen, a lot of HR related activities, a lot of, um, you know, challenges that you need to either foresee or tackle. And then the daily ordeal things, you know, meeting your team, making sure that uh, the machine is running and then preparing for the future.
1: So give us an idea of what preparing for the future looks like, because that's what's been the most interesting part about your show over the years is it sounds like, you know, from, from a person who's an outsider and I don't work with you on a daily basis, it sounds like your job is to constantly evaluate new emerging fields and to determine, is this a good investment for my customer? Is this a good investment for Amdocs? You know, you're basically constantly listening. What are you listening for?
2: I think the world around us, we are in an exceptional, interesting, in a way, era in which everything around us is changing. Um, on one end, we are speaking about, you know, digitization of everything and new companies coming and, and all these uh, cyber attacks that are, are, are being introduced. And then you have new technologies that are being uh, emerged and, and you need to evaluate all those. On one end, and always it's it's a counterbalance between the new stuff and the existing um, ongoing operation that you have. One of the challenges uh, for any leader or any manager would be to balance between you know the cool stuff, the new stuff, the the very hypey stuff, and the fact that at the end of the road, all those new things still needs to be you know paced uh, in the in the right uh, manner and be introduced uh, to the right customer at a given time. So it's a balance between, I would say, you can say 80, 20 at some times or, or 30, 70, but but something to do with, you know, looking into the future about uh, what are the new technologies and what are the new direction the market is is shaping to, uh, to address and making sure that those are being introduced in the right time and in the right fashion.
1: You know one of the things based on what you just mentioned you know it's happening right now which is ces the consumer electronics show and i remember going there a couple years ago like 2015 and talking to my boss we were in software development and he said all right he goes when you're here you think everything's going to be a winner yeah the hype exactly the excitement exactly the presentations you're like oh this is all going to change the world and he looked at me and goes you never forget 95% of the things you see here are never going to make it. Exactly. And you, and you think to yourself like, wow, like, what do you mean? This, this show hall is huge, full of huge investments from, you know, companies like big companies, not just, not just small companies, huge yep, companies. Yep, yep. And, they t- and then he says like, you know, 95% of these things are going to fail. And like, it, and it's, it's crazy to think about, but I remember, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you the year that I went, it's probably predates 2015. The year that I went that this was, um, that my boss said this to me was, the emergence of 3D TV. And it was like, 3D TV is going to be the future. 3D TV, 3D. Yo, 3D TV came and went so fast. (laughs) It it disappeared very quickly. 3D TV, as everyone now knows, is not really a thing.
2: Yeah. And I think Albert, you touched uh, a very, very important point because it's not about being right always. It's not about the fact that you are the best gambler out there, you know, going into shows and seeing, you know, hundreds of new companies. And then Placing your bets and, uh, you know, 50 times you're right and 50 or 40 times you're right. And this is not the case. The case is about uh, small steps, incremental steps. The case is about, uh, you know, trying new technologies and and knowing how to fail and fail fast and then adapting fast to the new, um, you know, whatever it is and then moving forward. So it's always about uh, embracing fail as part of your DNA, as part of your culture. It's a very important lesson from those shows as well.
1: Yeah. And give our audience a little more on your background. Like, how did you get started in this field? What did you do before you became, you know, the leader on the Amdoc side? How did you how did you get your start in this uh, industry?
2: So, you know, uh, I was for many years uh, an entrepreneur for uh, on my own for more than a dozen years. So, and I and established many companies, sold them, uh, collapsed, many failures. I can, I, I think more failures than i can even uh, remember that
1: is awesome
2: and um while while failing i had some also remarkable success stories um initiated company m8 company so i played with uh, in the ecosystem for a long time i i was working um, at the beginning for ibm for several years and then i moved into my own uh, my own company uh, which i founded you know we started it in the basement like the old stories back then there was no VCs and, and nothing even similar to uh, to the great ecosystem that supports uh, today's uh, entrepreneurs. So we did it uh, on our own. so uh, I still remember the days that I was walking uh, to my customers in order to conceal the fact that I didn't have the money to pay uh, for a car and 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 you know and and I was all sweaty and I said it it was because of what have you and 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 I still, uh, and then we went, you know, we, we ended up with a few hundreds of people um, doing many, many things. We launched several startups. At the end, I've sold it. Um, I then went to, uh, to be the general manager of, of a small company dealing with the video conferencing, something like, you know, Zoom, but like 10 years before Zoom.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Pre-pandemic. Hey, listen, had you had a pandemic, you would have won. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We, which which uh,
2: is also a phenomenon that we need to speak about. Sometimes you have the right technology in place. You have the route founders in place. You have the, everything is, but you know, stars are not aligned and it's like five years ahead of the market yeah. or three years ahead of the market and nothing happens. And, you know, 10 years after or three years after you see it and say, Hey, I had it, but you know, you lost the market. So um, and then, uh, and then I was about to come back to a CEO position of a small startup. And I was, and I, and I got a call from Amdocs and they told me, we have a cool gig for you for one year. Why, why won't you join us for one year? And then, you know, go back to your, uh, to your startups. And, and since then I'm here and, <laughs> you know, one thing linked to another until I, I, I became the president of our uh, technology and products.
1: That's awesome. When you were an entrepreneur, that first company, what, um, what field was that? What was the name of the company? What field did you guys, what, 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 did you, what were you guys trying to solve?
2: We actually, we had a, a very big ambitious. We wanted to do several things and therefore we actually established at the same time, like four different companies. Wow. You
1: did not follow that advice of like uh, <laughs> maniacal focus. You came right out the gate. Like I'm doing
2: four of these things. Yeah, but we, we were focused. So we tackled two areas, um, cyber and network management, and and we provided actually through those four companies, a comprehensive solution. So Mm -hmm. we had one arm that was consulting arm, one which was a training arm, one which was an SI or kind of an ISV delivering software packages, and one which was the startup. So the three arms that produced money contributed to the fourth arm that wasted it in order to create a new product. invested it was investment exactly it wasn't a waste it was investment <laughs> exactly and we invested into it the beauty around it is due to the fact that we have we had constant connection to customers um the products that we produced were on the money you know like the customer were asking for they were asking for a need it was not like a startup that starts with uh, we have a great technology and then let's find what does it solve here? We knew what needs to be solved. And then we developed the technology to support it.
1: It's a, I mean, it's a smart way to build the role. What was your principal role in the startup? Were you a developer? It's, uh, you definitely did some business development. We heard that
2: part. We called it the foreign, the, the, you know, the foreign minister. So I was the CEO, the VP of sales, um, the BD, <laughs> the strategist, and my partner was the developer and CTO.
1: There you go. So you had to
2: make a lot of r- good
1: bets to build the company. You know, that, I think that's really, I have a similar background as you, uh, you know, I'm guest, guest hosting today. My background was in software, um, but not through purpose, uh, through no one else would hire me. And uh, <laughs> it was at a time, it was at a time when startups, uh, underfunded startups really couldn't afford great talent yet. Like yeah. Kind of like what you said, like the VC ecosystem hadn't quite made it to North Carolina yet. And there was a startup, it was bootstrapped by a person who had already sold the software for 90 million dollars. And he was like, Hey, I'm doing it again. We were in social media management. I joined the company, and I remember that first interview they asked me, like, Well, can you what, what do you know about this? And I was like, I don't know anything. I was like, but I'm willing to learn. Yeah. And I know I'm good at, you know, and and that's how I got my chance in software. So built up similar as you built a company from 10 to I know a couple hundred people that got acquired. Then I became a VP of, uh, it was called Sysmos. And then then, then that became, That was a 300 person company uh, before I just returned to the startup ecosystem. So I've always been fascinated by technology. You're deep in technology, huge enterprise level technology. I've always liked the emerging from zero to, let's say, 10 million. You're definitely dealing at scales much, much larger than that. One of the things that we've seen over, and it's, and it's difficult to do, but so we tried to do our best to bucket these topics. You know, one of the things we wanted to give our audience a chance to, to do with you is to look back at some of the themes that you've seen over the course of your time as host of Future of Tech. You know, we have buckets like open source, digitization, ecosystem, automation, cloud, AI, cyber, just general innovation, yep. space travel, space logistics the overall view of the future. These are huge buckets. Is there any category that you can recall during your time as host where you've found yourself really just, well, I, I wouldn't say one is more interesting than the other, but you've just found yourself like, I'm really passionate about this topic.
2: Yeah. I'm passionate about technology as a whole, you know, and and my, and and my I drive my wife crazy because this is what I'm doing also in my spare time. I read a lot and, and, <laughs> I, and I like this, uh, this field, um, but I, I, I like, I would say f- few things. First of all, I like the guys that are coming with a broad perspective of things. So people, some of the interviews that I had with people that are providing you, you know, with an overarching overlook about the industry and where it goes. Uh, we had such, you know, one of the, I think, um, first talks that we had was with the president and CTO of Dell, um, Rose, uh, John Rose. And he, he was speaking Rose, about yeah. the yeah, the ecosystem as a whole. He spoke about uh edge computing and AI and lessons for a CIO. I, I am an, another interesting uh, dialogue with uh, Rick Rivoli from uh, Comcast, who was a friend of mine also. We spoke about, you know, how the world is changing, how to look into um, the new ecosystem. And and again, those those dialogues with, um, you know, leaders in the industry that, that are high enough on one hand and technical enough on the other end to see an overarching perspective about our market. Um, the, the Verizon talk with Toby uh, Rodcho was also a very interesting because it provided an outlook about where the giants are looking into 5G and how the market emerges. In open source, I like the dialogues for two reasons. First of all, Michael Hodgson, which, which uh, you know i used to drink beer with and he's a uh, is a great uh, partner of mine we used to work together um he was actually using software that i developed before joining amdocs uh, um so we kind of got uh, you know acquainted through um through the history and then we talked a lot about you know going and and contributing back to the community eventually he spearheaded this uh organization and, and company is doing great today, open sourcing as a philosophy, as, as a way to contribute back to community, as a way to, uh, to bring back um, a, a lot of people working together for the greater good of humanity, it's actually, it, you know, it touches you in so many uh, aspects. Because as an industry, there was many, many trials, uh, you know, many decades ago through giants like uh, IBM and HP, and, you know, later on by others, Cisco and others, trying to uh, consolidate the industry into one, one area. And it never happened because it was driven by a company. While open source is is pushing so many so many uh, consolidation ideas and concepts due to the fact that it's not driven by a company rather by a community. Yeah. Um. Speaking about you know several of the phenomena that uh, were mentioned through the uh, episodes and the and, and the last few years, we talked about open source in general with Reddit, which, a uh, CTO, which was you know one of the the founders of of this. Yeah, of,
1: Chris Wright. Chris Wright, yeah. By the way, Red Hat's down the street from me. Uh, we saw I saw this company emerge over the years. Uh, obviously, it got acquired by IBM for like twenty something billion dollars or whatever the number was. I believe it was twenty six billion. But I remember when someone said, "Hey, they actually um, allow anyone to code on the platform." I was like, "Well, I don't understand how they make money." Like, I don't. <laughs> what do you mean? Anyone can contribute code, and why? Why are people contributing code? I remember asking that question too. It's like that makes no sense to me. Why would I? a superstar engineer, you know, commit to commit code to a Linux run server to make it or Linux run router to make it, you know, network and switch route traffic better than they're doing, you know, and it made no sense to me. And one of the things, you know, those two big topics you hit on, you know, I wanted to get your perspective here because I think it's fascinating, you know, on the software side, you can see how fast open source is changing and improving software. In fact, one of the, we well, haven't had them on as guests yet for, for the show yet but like uh you know there's a lot of companies like HashiCorp ipoing that are open source based that like technology is growing and, and changing so fast we need to speak
2: to them they are great guys
1: yeah 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 but then on the same side on the the big macro level like you talked about with uh, dell and with verizon and with comcast you know the reality is like anything that's hardware related like that requires heavy equipment infrastructure is still probably going to be led by big companies just because the capital investment is too great, right? Like I can't really contribute to a network 5G tower as a, as a soft, you know, I have to, I have to give you steel unless I'm giving you steel, which I'm not going to give you because it carries costs to me. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just a very different ball game. So the infrastructure is being built up definitely by the private organizations. And then software seems to be accelerated by the community, which is a completely different thing than, uh, You know just 10 years ago open source wasn't as widely adopted
2: yeah so this is an interesting uh, phenomenon you've touched um and actually i would like to comment from two different angles one the network itself is becoming software driven yeah and we had several speakers uh touching this point obviously from intel and from aws and from google and and uh, and probably i missed several maybe and, and hp for sure and it's clear uh, that the dominance of, uh, you know, hardware is becoming uh, smaller and smaller. Therefore, there is a lot of room for software players to play in the ecosystem. And this, this is one angle. The, an- the other angle that you've mentioned about, you know, playing hardware and software is also relevant for the gaming industry. You know, one of the very, very interesting oh, yeah. uh, talks that I was waiting for you know, half for myself, half for my my kids, was about with the general manager of of games uh, from Microsoft. And we discussed uh, several aspects, you know, about the ecosystem, about the fact that maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, it was still uh, kind of uh, a geeky thing to say you are a gamer. And today people, uh, you know...
1: Gamers are celebrities.
2: <laughs> and they are celebrities, not just, uh, you know, at, at the age of 14 or 15. And, and you see people which are 30, 40, 50 years of age playing, uh, you know, proud of it, you know, actually having f- fun and fun being part of, of the, you know, the, the daily practice of everyone and, and I think it's uh, it's quite amazing to see. And, and software contributed a lot into it. Um, going back to, to uh, you know, you, you've you mentioned the fact that uh, I was traveling to Japan. It was like, I think um, maybe I was there like a few years back, but th- this story is when I was there like a decade ago or maybe 15 years ago. And I saw people playing um over the internet in games and i thought, uh, yeah and in tv channels there were specific dedicated tv channels for people playing games and and i thought uh i was a bit a bit surprised you know how maybe it's only a phenomenon that i'll see here and and you know 10 years later you see it everywhere
1: yeah i remember circa 1996 when home internet for, well, so, so i'll date myself Go, i'll go ahead and date myself i'm 42 years old 1996, I'm a 16 year old kid. We got dial up internet. If you had told me then that what I was playing on my uh, Sega or my PlayStation was going to be available over the internet, I was like, there's no way. Like it takes me 10 minutes to see one picture. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, like the leaps and bounds of kind of what you talked about earlier, which is the the macro players, the big players, they're building the infrastructure and the hardware systems like the Dells and the Verizon's and the Comcast, they're making it so that you can just move just so much data over the internet to the point now where this is unlocking things that just really you couldn't, really couldn't imagine, yeah. right? This idea that I could game in 3D world rendering with you, I'm here in America, you're there in Israel, and we could be in real time, no problem.
2: Yeah, which is also a, a very interesting uh, uh, discussion we had, you know, because the amount of data that is, is out there is staggering and what to do yeah. with this data and how to uh, move this data. So there, there are different aspects. One is the technology aspect, you know, about the amounts. Second is the speed. And third is, you know, the insights uh, derivative coming from all this data and can you do something with them? And when speaking yeah. to different uh, in different dialogues, you know, during the, the several years that we uh, that we had, it was very interesting to see companies that are addressing these aspects from the different, you know, angles that we've just uh, mentioned. So there were some that were saying, OK, we want to challenge and, and to solve, you know, the, the sheer amounts of data out there. In a way, this also relates to, uh, we talked about space with, you know, some emerging satellite uh, and drone companies and say they are looking also into how how to utilize uh, satellites to drive uh, data to um, remote places on one hand. And and then once it's there and you have already the infrastructure, do you need now, you know, to build uh, a different infrastructure in space? Or is it something that is going to utilize Earth as as the base? And those were fascinating dialogues about, you know, how the world is going to shape uh, with satellites becoming now more and more easier to launch. And and this technology is now something that we can utilize. Obviously, it goes into, you know, threats that can come from there. And obviously, everything relates today to, to cyber attacks, but also into the future and and, you know, your imagination just can, you know, run wild and and into different directions. You know, one of the things that you just talked
1: about and we've had, what I've heard through some of the different guests and I've heard through other shows, you know, the the network speed is one of the, people don't realize it, but it is one of the, like you said, the ability to move huge, massive amounts of data from remote locations to central computing like huge massive computing services data centers is the driver that's unlocking things like IoT autonomous vehicles all these different things so like if i think about autonomous vehicles the footprint of somewhere like the united states massive right you have know, a lot of roads a lot of roads that are not near major cities it is this infrastructure that is going to allow autonomous vehicles to work because we talk with uh, different people about this and i've heard some of your guests talk about it but like let's say your vehicle's driving in the middle of the you know the midwest in the united states there might not be a city for thousands of miles hundreds of miles right you're going to rely on 5g towers or possibly satellite as you suggested to move all this automated data to see like if i'm driving and like there's a deer in the road and i'm not paying attention it's gotta be linking data on the road, data in my car, data in my environment. It's gotta go back to a central computing system that recognizes these data patterns. All these things have to be true for it to recognize, hey, maybe you should stop right now. You know, and, and, that's, and that's, that's why, you know, like a vehicle, people, people said at first they're like, well, the compute's gonna be in the car. I was like, I don't think so. There's not, enough, there's not enough capacity in a car, right? The compute's probably gonna have to be in a central massive data center What's gonna to have to happen is infrastructure has got to move that data faster. And I know edge computing also is, some of your guests have talked about edge computing, how to push data and processing closer to the edge so that it doesn't have to travel as far. These are all things that are, you know, as networks expand, capacity expands, speed expands, these are the things that are gonna get unlocked.
2: Yeah, so I think that you've touched so many topics, Albert, that uh, <laughs> it's- yeah, uh, Well, that's what's necessary
1: to make a, you know autonomous vehicles work.
2: You're right by the way this was one of the one of the main drivers to uh for this podcast because there are so many new things that are happening and people do need to understand them a bit better so maybe if you are technology savvy it's not such a big hassle for you you know to uh to but but the variety is so is so vast and and there are so many truly interesting things that uh it is important to uh, to bring those closer to the uh, wide audience and and to uh, and and you've mentioned edge computing and we have you know several episodes about that and we talked about the cloud as a whole and what the phenomena that the the web scalers brought to the market uh, in in many ways you know on one end allowing all this infrastructure to exist and how it happens and if you want to tie you know the, the ends, you know it's funny, because like, uh, when I initiated my startup, one of my workers was, uh, was Hen. And, and Hen later on, became the head of uh, Anthos and, and Kubernetes within Google. So years later, I find yeah. myself interviewing someone who was my employee you know, 20 years ago. Which was funny yeah. and, and you know, but was also, um, it shows how the world is small and, and, and allowed us to have a very fascinating dialogue about the cloud uh, and and uh, her and, and Jennifer, uh, we had a very interesting dialogue about, you know, the direction the cloud goes, both in terms of, you know, the, the mega cloud, the, the public cloud, but also in the edge and, and what we call the, the hybrid cloud and the, and the different players over there. And you mentioned, you know, also the data aspect not just the the sheer amount of data, but also what to do with it, and taking calculated um, you know um, next steps and 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 how the car needs to operate and what needs to happen, which brings again gazillions of uh, of topics into into uh you know into your mind you know how to make sure that the data arrives in the right time and you will not you know uh, confront the deer before, and just then <laughs> you know the car will get an an alert. How to make sure that uh, someone will not uh, uh, interact with your car without your permission, how to make sure that, and, and is you know, everybody speaks about it, that in, in modernized cars, you will be able to play or and to do the gaming that we've just mentioned yeah. while the car drives to its destiny. So is this, uh, you know, is this something that you would like to do without this continuous uh, update of the car uh, route and, and stuff? So all, all, all AI-related data were mentioned, I think, by majority of the people. Yeah and were discussed in, in greater length in different aspects.
1: Yeah, AI has become the layer that's in everything because of the, what you just described, which is there's just so much data being produced and transferred among systems that no one, you humans can no longer develop solutions fast enough to accommodate for how fast systems are learning. And so then you now have AI coming forward and be like, hey. I'm figuring it out for you on your behalf. Like, hey, I figured out this is the problem. I figured out based on the numerical patterns of data that this is an opportunity, which is pretty crazy because we've had some of the leaders of Microsoft, like James Phillips on the show discussing AI. We've had people from live person talk about how AI is going to figure out how we just talk to each other so that we, can, <laughs> that we don't need uh, like call centers and machines can figure out what you're asking for and get return information faster for better experiences. You know, all these things keep, like you kind of said building on each other
2: you're right which triggered you know uh, follow-up questions about is it going to replace us and and are we going yeah. to, to be replaced by ai which we talked with all those guys or all of them are saying obviously a definite no it's just going you know to improve us and get us better yeah but we had also you know we had a very interesting uh, dialogue with david pesic professor pesic is, is a futurist and we were speaking about, you know, his projection. He, he, he projected COVID. He projected many of the things that uh, are happening, you know, around the globe. And, and it was fascinating to pick his brain and to see, you know, does, does he believe that AI is going to replace mankind? And he said, no, in a way, you know, in a polite way, he said, uh, not immediately. Um, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well if i go off history like if we go off history right innovation has always been viewed as a threat to human jobs um uh, but of course there's more jobs today than there's ever been and there's obviously more technology than there's ever been so clearly that's not exactly the case but i do agree with i think dr passing mentioned this and some of the some of the people of others have mentioned this as well technology is going to accelerate at a rate that's going to cause disruptions in traditional work for sure. meaning There might be like a period of time when there's a big displacement. I mean, you've even had uh, Joe Atkinson from PWC on your show straight up talk about his number one goal is to upskill his employees. And for those that don't know, PWC has almost half a million employees. Like that's not a small task, but he recognized it right then and there. He's like, hey, if people don't learn these new skills, it's going to be difficult for them to work in this future environment.
2: So again, you touched a very, very interesting point. which goes into two things. You mentioned the first, which is upskilling the manpower and being able to adapt into this new era of, you know, new technologies. And... But the other point was about automation, which we also talked a lot about, uh, saying that, you know, automation is going to be all over us and it, it will allow us to upskill our people to the right places, opposed you know, to do the same thing just with modernized tooling. So automation is going also to disrupt in a way and replace in a way some of the tedious tasks that we've done or neglected to do. You know, we, we gave an example of someone needs to look into a log file constantly of millions of lines. So 100 lines is fine, you know. Maybe he's very, very good. So he, maybe he can do it for 200 lines, but you can't uh, browse into a log file of millions of lines being constantly changed. And this is something a machine can replace you with. Yeah, And you will get only, you know, the outcome of, of, uh, of those and, and do your uh, magic uh, straight after. So we talked with, uh, I think, two or three talks were, were about it, which I, I can recall at least two. One was with a low-code, no-code uh, firm OutSystem with the CEO uh, of yeah. OutSystem, Paolo, which was very interesting, you know, to see how the world is adapting to uh, to automation and to do things faster, and to move swifter into modernizing the, um, the ecosystem. And, and another very interesting uh, talk with the uh, chief evangelist of UiPath was about robotic process automation. And again, we asked them, you know, is it going to replace the humans or is it going to be, you know, just a tool to allow us to move faster into, uh, you know, the, the, the stuff that you've mentioned earlier? And they both uh, saw it as, as, you know, vehicles to assist us to move faster um uh, faster time to market and and to innovate faster which which was very interesting to hear what they have to do and also you know to um to challenge them in some cases so it was interesting talks as well
1: yeah which is pretty funny at the time the this was just shortly after ipo we had a, a guy kirk kirkwood on the show He's now since retired (laughs) and his LinkedIn profile, by the way, says he's just a farmer now. (laughs) It's pretty fun. But he's one of the the co-founders at UiPath. We also had Zoe Cleland. She was a PhD and VP of product experience at Nintex, another low-code technology, low-code, no-code. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Is like, at the same time, everyone needs to be upskilled. There's a new wave of technology that out systems, that Nintex, that's UiPath's bringing to market which is going to allow people who are not developers to develop solutions because they are using all of this data and AI and they've and that's piggybacks into we've had guests on in product and user experience I constantly talk about how we make things easier because you know there is a general theory that in the future just about everyone can potentially be a developer um developing solutions using low code no code or robotic process automation tools to help accelerate whatever it is the business needs to get done. Um, we had, a, I know one of your guests mentioned before different industries where because of tools like OutSystems, because of tools like Nintex, because of low code, no code, there are people that are creating solutions that have never had engineering experience before. Yeah. They have domain experience. They. For example, in the airline industry, being able to be better at building a system that tracks lost baggage, like yeah. this is being developed by non-developers, which is crazy because who knows more about lost baggage than the actual baggage handlers that are down there. <laughs> they, exactly. I need a tool that can do this.
2: Yeah. On one end, it's a topic everybody speaks about, the user experience. But on the other end, I think the the one-on-one equals three that you've just done is not something that you see regularly you see that companies understand the importance of ui experience yeah but the fact that now people which are outsiders non-tech savvy people can now create the applications and bring this uh, know-how and knowledge into the ecosystem is changing the world upside down It's making you know there are gazillions of applications out there and it's all about you know uh, how do you make them now better um, User friendlier, simpler to interact with, and through the discussions, we saw that many companies are now. Uh, you see that they, in the key roles, they are having psychologists. Yeah, and they're having people. You know that uh, when I studied, uh, you know, so I studied obviously computer science and math and all the stuff that uh, someone like me needs to uh, to make sure that there is a check mark on. But uh, I also studied psychology and sociology and anthropology. And all of them um, are, in a way, assisting you to understand the uh, behavior of people and the culture behind things. And also are adding into us being human beings, eventually, you know, the people that are using those solutions and and that are driving uh, the industry forward. And therefore, I think um, smart organizations are the ones that are injecting people from different, um, you know, fields of expertise. To enrich the ecosystem and to make sure that they have, you know, um, everything uh, inside and not just, you know, either one or two.
1: Yeah, and you can and you can see right out the gate, you know, during our conversation, just even this conversation in the last couple of minutes, we can see how the future really depends on all of these things working together. Like, there's nothing, there's we no, there's no industry in isolation that is going to, I don't know how, like, win or be the dominant player. It's like these things are all needed together to do these huge macro solutions to
2: big, big problems. Yeah, definitely. Right. So this is one angle. The other angle is also true. Meaning that when you are designing a solution it needs to fit also very small scale uh, audiences. So from a very niche solution into a mega scale solution, all those needs to be addressed uh, with the same, you know, either technology or, or uh, look and feel or simplicity. And, and this, is, this is not as easy as it sounds.
1: Yeah, no, definitely not. When you hear all these different people in different disciplines, and you already mentioned before, you're, you're a family man, you got kids. Which industry do you think someone could, should pay, you know, like, You can't build all of these things together, right? These industries are all in themselves multi billion dollar, trillion dollar industries, each one, right? Yeah. Where do you see the most growth or where do you see the most potential growth for, let's say, a young person? Like if you were to tell your children, hey, you should invest in learning technology, but you might want to lean here, where do you see areas that are going to grow the most in the next couple of years?
2: So it's a good question, I think, because one of the lessons talking to um, to all those people, and also forward looking into our uh, next year unicorn season, um, speaking to founders, and you will see that the most important thing is to be passionate about what you're doing. So if you find yourself passionate about uh, cyber, or if you find yourself passionate about uh, artificial intelligence, or if you find yourself passionate about you know any other uh, means. Uh, or technology, I see it more important than actually, f- you know, uh, fitting yourself into uh, the, gr- the most growing field in the, you know, th- for this, you can uh, Google it and you'll find the uh, four uh, good surveys. All of them are indicating more or less what we said, you know, everybody will need uh, AI. Everybody is going yeah. to speak about the cloud. Everybody is going to need someone that understands what we call the DevOps or, or uh, you know, the uh, automation of the uh, R&D development lifecycle. Everybody is going to need. So those, you know, uh, skills are quite straightforward. And, and if you'll be around, uh, you're okay. The thing is where your heart is. And, and you need to make sure that what you do is as close as possible to your heart then you know then then you can bring the extra mile and, and make a difference
1: hey, and and you know you kind of hinted the little preview of the upcoming season and i know yesterday we talked with a really exciting guest there are companies for those that are listening there are companies literally emerging massive multi-billion dollar companies that are literally designed to answer questions that people found the problem in because they were building technologies like they They found a problem. They asked themselves a question, hey, why don't I have a tool like this? So these tools that are for developers are also growing immensely. Like the developer toolkits, like we were just talking about, right? These like literally of a company like, uh, you know, I don't want to give it away, but some of the unicorns we're about to meet you're about to meet they literally have found multi-billion dollar businesses literally just by being a developer solving these problems for the future and and finding out that they have a question like i don't understand why i don't have a tool that can find this exactly they build the tool and then everyone wants that tool
2: (laughs) yeah which which goes into you know uh doing doing like uh, something which is would be also interesting to our uh, listeners you know on one end you can just listen and absorb the new stuff that is happening in the world on the second hand um, you know, take it one step further is, is you say, okay, if this is available, what can I do with it? Yeah. If now I can understand, you know, that the, the world is, uh, around us changed so much, everything is, is becoming software driven, the tools are out there, then pops up the great ideas, you know, because then people start to say, you know, we're trying to tackle um, the new world with historical processes, with concepts yeah. concept which are not relevant for the new world one of the dialogues that uh, we had you know with uh, clint rouge he he specializes on marketing to the alpha generation you know so i was very interested because i have few kids uh, in that age you know like age of five seven ten and i was wondering you know really are, are you already targeting those? And he said, yes, those are going to be, you know, in five, six years, um, the next generation of, you know, either the audience or the consumers or, you know, some some uh, some of them are already starting to develop uh, startups already. I've seen some uh, articles about young
1: teenage kids, maybe even younger than teenage kids selling NFTs. For millions of dollars. And I'm like, I don't even know how to make an NFT. (laughs) I gotta look into it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And everything goes full circle, which is, uh, you know, every time you go down one path, you open like these big categories of technology, you open up the door to another, right? So it's like you mentioned the marketing, you got to convince the kids where the kids interested in the kids are interested in, like you said, the metaverse, they're interested in solving different problems. So there's companies building toolkits that make it easier for them to solve problems,
2: and the beauty around it today, that the 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 overall market has a lot of money to spend, so people with the bright ideas and and you know the um, the right uh, mindset and passion can find the uh, good routes to propel forward. And as many of our leaders said, you know, um, try, fail, and try again. you know don't don't give up, uh, but yeah. but it's there. And it's uh, and the the world is waiting for those entrepreneurs. We have several dialogues, you know, also with the venture capitalists. We're going to have few others also in the next season. All of them, you know, with with the lesson learned to to uh, founders and and to people that are trying to be entrepreneurs for either the first time or you know are are doing it for the second and third time. Yeah, it's all about you know on one end fail on the other end be very passionate on, and and obviously. Um, continuously strive and, and tenacity, you know, towards a goal. Yeah, which brings us back in our own
1: conversation. This is what the interesting part about the future of tech is, is like everything depends on everything else, which we've now gone back full circle to your role here at Amdocs, which is this constant need to evaluate technology to find out whether it's good for your company as well as your customers, right? So like, is it good for my customer? Is it good for my clients? Is it good for us? Yeah, Kind of, you know, and constantly trying to figure out all those gaps. So which, and I know Amdocs yourselves, you guys build technology, your team builds technology solutions for customers. And a lot of times probably the same thing happens to you, right, where it's like you find the problem during the build and you look for a way to answer that problem. Each company has its own unique problem set.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and I think that it's, a, as I said, it's a journey. It's not a one-time experiment. It's an ongoing, uh, relentless pursuit uh, on one end to look into new things, on the other end to understand that it takes time to mature those new things. And even if you're very, very keen and ambitious to bring new stuff into uh, any given domain, it takes time. It takes time to mature them. It takes time to scale them. It takes time to embed them. And it's OK. It's OK, A, um, sometimes to fail. It's OK, obviously, to succeed. Um, you better succeed more than fail. But, uh, <laughs> but overall, it's, it's an ongoing uh, life cycle of experiments, innovative ideas, and, and being also uh, realistic in a way that you know you, you know what needs to do. And you're not pushing your teams always, you know, just to innovate. Sometimes it's also good to do the, uh, the ongoing things and to make sure that your customers are happy. Yeah, there you go.
1: You know, we're coming close to the top of our hour. I do want to ask a couple of questions of, about you. So that again, so our audience can get to know you a little better. So, you know, one of the things I want to know is how about on a personal level? So take away Amdocs, take away the customers. How about for Avishai, Charlene, yourself, which technologies are you hoping for what are you wanting someone to build because maybe we can inspire someone out there to be like hey i got a solution for you like what do you need in your life what would make your life a little bit better if you had this give us an idea of what you're looking forward to personally
2: yeah i'll try to answer it in two different ways one i was a student of uh, clayton christensen who you know is one of the leading uh, gurus from uh, and he wrote the innovators dilemma and many other books and and he talked about uh, jobs to be done what is the job that needs to be done um, and i think that if someone can create more hours a day it will be for me a great, uh, <laughs> um,
1: you are a workaholic all right when i work with avishai i want the audience to know i'm here in america He's there in Israel. Sometimes it'll be like, uh, you know, six o'clock my time and I'll be like, I'll send him this and he'll, he'll dress it in the morning. Nope. He, read. <laughs> <laughs> he just
2: addresses it then. <laughs> and the second aspect, look, um, I have six kids and uh, I love them all. You know, if someone will ask me whom you love most, I, there is no, you know, the, 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 I, I love them all the same way. Um, in a way, I really like technology. So I'm not sure that there is a field. Um, It's more about uh, sometimes when I meet entrepreneurs and when I meet uh, interesting uh, colleagues of mine, he's seeing the spark in the eye that ignites me. If I see on the other side, someone that really believes in what he's doing and I'm looking for this spark, this is what ignites me also to, uh, to spend extra time with him. That's awesome.
1: Well, have a shy. It was awesome having you as a guest on your own show <laughs> so that our audience can get to know you a little better. You know, it's funny because you, you told an anecdotal story I thought that was pretty funny, which is you met someone who mentioned that they liked the show Future of Tech and they did not even know that you were the host. They, they, they were like, oh, I love that show. It's got such great guests. Like, can you get me on that
2: show? And you're like, I, I think I can.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're so right. Yeah, Albert, it was a real pleasure. And as always, uh, looking forward to our uh, next episode. There you go.
1: Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Future of Tech, hosted by me today, but normally by Abishai Charlie. Thanks.
2: Thanks
0: for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin directly on LinkedIn.